how important is it that we love God? What is the significance of it? Why does God call us to love Him? Second question is, what is the nature of our love for the Lord? We know many people are real passionate about singing love songs to the Lord, like Jesus is their boyfriend, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> the question is, what is the nature of our love for God? And then, number three, we're going to ask the question, where does this love from God come from? Is it given to you, or, are you, or do you generate this love from, for God from within? And the first is, let's talk about the necessity of loving God. The importance, the supreme importance of loving God. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, and I'm going to run through a bunch of verses because I want to call this a study, a short study in our love for God. I want to ask Brother Han if you don't mind, just uh, I emailed you an updated version. If you don't mind printing that one for me, I appreciate it. Thank you. The necessity of loving God. First in Matthew 22, 37 and 38, it says, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Christ's commandment here means it is totally necessary. It is absolutely required and is ultimately important for us to know that our Christianity is not a set of rules, regulations, doctrines that are cold, dry, and brittle. No, our Christianity is in fact us having a loving relationship with the God who loved us first. Our Christianity is a living one. It is not mentally ascending to specific set of standards. It is, in fact, a heartfelt response to God. And this is important for us to know, especially, <clears throat> you know, if you are into theology and you're studying the Bible, which you should be, and you're in Bible school, which you really should be, um, oftentimes what, could, what it could turn out to be is just a lot of debates about what's right, what's wrong, what's biblical, what's not. It really is a heartfelt response to a loving Father, and it's ultimately what our Christianity is about. Remember the Bible, Jesus said, I am the way. He's not a road. He's not a street. He says, I am the way, the door. In other words, the point of entry into relationship with the Father. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. Ultimate Christianity is about you being in relationship with the Father. Jesus came to make that possible. And so every single one of us have been called to have a relationship with God, our Father. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that for those who love God, for those who do what? Who? Those. 
No one else, all right? <laughs> no one else. But for those who love God, all things work together for the good. If all things are to work together for your good, then it is going to be because of the love that you have for the Father. Thank you, Han. That is why things are going to work together for the good, because you love God. This promise can also be read in reverse, of course. For those who do not love God, what is that promise? Instead of things working out for them, nothing works out for them eternally because of their lack of love for God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for who? Those who love Him. Wow. That's who Jesus went to go and prepare a place for. Who? Those who love Him. That is who, who He's building mansions for. Those who love God. You see, the category of people who will be in on this unimaginable preparations God has made for His people eternally are those who love the Lord. Not those who do not, but those who do. You see, the world loves to talk about God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. Really, what I'm seeing in Scriptures are what God has in store for those who love Him. This is what... Christianity is about. James chapter 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test of time, or when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, watch this, which God has promised to those who love Him. Not those whom He loves, those who love Him. In other words, it is evident that those who love Him are those who will be in heaven with Him in order to receive this crown. James chapter 2, verse 5 says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which He has promised to who? Those who love Him, not those whom He loves, but those who love Him. Notice that He chooses those who love Him. Uh, let me read it to you again. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which He has promised to who? Those who love Him. So what I'm trying to show you here is it's interesting that those whom God chooses love Him. Let me say that again. The elect love God. Anybody who loves God good chance they're the elect <laughs> and to them are given to be heirs of God's kingdom in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 24 it says grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible when you really start looking at the Bible you'll start seeing it's almost like the general narrative within nominal Christianity is always the opposite of what the scriptures in fact really emphasize in general, in, in general nominal Christianity, you will find that what has been emphasized is God's love for you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Get it in your head. God loves you. 
People are trying to convince you that God loves you all the time. When you go to scriptures, you find like, oh, all that God has for those who love Him. It never made sense to me, you know, when everybody keeps on like banging on this whole, the same issue over and over again. God loves you. God loves you. You've got to understand God loves you. I'm like, wait a minute. I have a son. I don't want him to believe I love him because somebody else convinced him. Make sense? I want him to convince everybody else that I love him. <laughs> I don't need others to convince him. Tell you what, if somebody can talk you into something, somebody else can talk you right out of it. But if God's love has been shed abroad in your heart, damn it. Nobody can talk you out of it. Nobody has to even help you understand it. It's there. Amen. In Ephesians 6, verse 24, it says, Grace. Be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. So here, grace is pronounced on those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting. I'm not saying which one comes first, but those who love are evidently elected. And those who are elected always love God. And those who have been, who have been graced are the ones who love God, and the ones who love God are those who have been graced. And we'll see which one comes first a little later. You see, loving the Lord Jesus Christ is of utmost importance. It is our absolute of absolute necessity and a definite requirement for eternal life. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 8, it says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to but also to all who have loved His appearing. You know, when you uh, love somebody, you just love it when they come walking through your front door, don't you? Like, oh, it's so good to see you. Why do I love seeing somebody appear through my front door? Because I love them. I'm not like, oh, I love it when you walk through my front door. What's your name, sir? <laughs> Makes absolutely no sense, right? I love his appearing because I love him. And anybody who loves him is eager to see him appear because they love his appearing. Only because you love Jesus would you love the idea of him coming back. So our conclusion here is if you're going to have the privilege of all things working together for your good, it's going to be because of the love that you have for God. If you're going to experience the unimaginable preparations God has made for His people to experience throughout all eternity, it is only going to be because you currently in this life love God. If you're going to remain steadfast, Stand all test of time, tests through our life and so receive eternal crown of life. It is going to be because of the love that you have for God in this life, currently where you are at, at the job you currently have, with the one you are currently married to, with the children you currently have, living in the town you currently do, 
right here where you are at. If you cannot love God here, you can't love God anywhere. Some people can't love Him because life's too comfortable and they have too much. Others can't love God because life is so difficult and they don't have enough. <laughs> it doesn't matter. If you can't love God here, you can't love God anywhere. You couldn't love Him if you had more. You couldn't love Him if you had less. If you're going to be an heir of the eternal kingdom of God, it would be because you, you are currently loving God now in this life, the life that you currently have. It's interesting to note that the Old Testament has, has uh, 613 laws. That's a lot. 313 Old Testament laws. And then what God did was He took those 316 laws, or 613 laws. What's going on? He takes all those laws in the Old Testament and He boils them down to what? Ten. Ten commands. And He takes those ten commandments and then He boils them down to two. And He says, now, here they are. All of those commands hang on these two. Love God. Love your neighbor. If you can love vertically and you can love horizontally, there's no way you will steal from them. There's no way you would lie, lie to them. There's no way you would violate what you know pleases Him. If you love God, But my willingness to break Scripture is proof of my lack of love for God. See that? My eagerness to give myself to Scripture, to know Scripture, and then give myself to Scripture is a sign that I love God. Now, many people do live legalistic lives, so you could be somebody who loves to win every argument in Scripture and live in such a way that everybody thinks that you are be his knees and still not love God. That's possible. But it's impossible to love God and not be interested in who he is, what he wants from you, how to serve him, and be eager to actually give yourself to it in a practical way. And like I mentioned, and if we love those around us, which one of the Ten Commandments would we break? None of them. So it is of utmost importance, ultimate necessity that you and I love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Strength means that which you have a strength in. What are you good at? Can you serve God with that? So there we, we talked about the necessity of loving God. Now what we want to do is we want to talk shortly about the nature of our love for God. Because... Um, people get, people oftentimes fall down both sides of the same horse. <laughs> like, either loving God is just doing stuff right, or loving God is like you dating Jesus. But the nature of our love for God is interesting. We have to ask the question, what are we talking about when we say we love? What is the meaning of loving God? Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 says, Whoever loves 
whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I want to read that to you because I want you to consider the fact that this shows that the love we have for the Lord Jesus is not the same love we have for cars, chocolates, movies, and hot bubble baths. It's not the same. It's not the same kind of love you have for those objects. It is, in fact, a relational kind of love. That's why he compared it. He said, you have to love me more than the way you love these relationships in your life. You see, you love your mom. You love your dad. You love your siblings. Your daughter, your son, you love those. But you have to love God more than they. It is the kind of love you would have for humans. Those who are most precious to you, it is the same kind of love that you would have for those you care for most in this world. Except Jesus requires that you love, your love for Him has to be so much more in degree, not in kind. In John 14, 15 through 24, it says this, If you love me, you will keep my commands. That's not a threat. That's a statement of fact. He says, this is, those who love me, those are the ones that obey me. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not out of fear, not because it's a threat, because that is what people do who love God. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. The world has an inability to receive the Spirit of truth. Because it, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live. You will also live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. It's almost like, have you ever seen these politicians at times? They get asked a question and then it's almost like they didn't hear the question. They just basically keep trumpeting what they, what they know everybody needs to hear from them. <laughs> he says, hey, Jesus, uh, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come, and, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, period. All right. Throw all philosophy out. Throw it out. Throw all intentions out of your thoughts. This is God's word. This is God's thought. And I have to delete my thought in order to receive God's thought. And His thought is whoever does not love me does not keep 
my words, period. Yeah, well, deep, 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 deep down, he's a good heart. <laughs> you know, he really, his intention is all good. You know, he really does love God. I mean, lo he loves God. It's just, you know, he, he just, he's just a lot of different issues, you know. He, but he loves God, this I know. The Bible tells us that we don't go by anything other than what we see him say. And he said, he who does not keep his word does not love him. And then he finishes off, he says, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. So many people point to this portion of Scripture and make our love for God equal to our obedience to Christ. They say, well, you know what? Uh, loving God is being obedient to God. Now, what this verse is really saying is loving God leads to obedience to Christ. Love is the reason why we obey. It is, obedience is the effect. Love is the cause. To love Christ means that obedience to Him becomes my desire now. Now that I love Him, I desire to obey because when I disobey, I feel like garbage. Don't you? But to obey Him just uh, fulfills my desires. That's what it means to love God. Loving God means now you follow, following Him because I now have a passion to do so. Loving God has changed my desire, it has changed my passion, and it has now become my agenda. It is very clear when somebody loves God because you see it in their agenda. See, I like to say it this way, my love for Jesus empowers me to live for Jesus. My love for Jesus empowers me to live for Jesus. It is, it is almost impossible as a pastor, I can tell you, it is impossible to make a goat act like a sheep over time. Can't do it. But the one who loves the Lord, he already knows his shepherd's voice and he follows. You see, it's the love that you have for the Lord that empowers you to live for the Lord. Parents, you know this to be true. Your child may act up. Your child may disappoint you. Your child may embarrass you. <laughs> Your child may cost you more than you budgeted for. <laughs> Your child may do a lot of things. And guess what? You will go another thousand, another million miles for them. And what gave you the ability to do for them when you wouldn't do a fraction of the same for some other kid down the street? What caused you to do that? Your love for them. Love is an empowering force in you. You absolutely give yourself to the thing you love. Somebody goes, well, I chose to love it. No, no, no. Mm, let me go there. You give yourself. You give yourself to the very thing, the very person you love. That's what you say when you stand in, in, front of the, in front of the minister the day you get married. 
You actually give yourself to that person, and that is your act of love. Or you could maybe say it this way. My love for Jesus results in me living for Jesus. It empowers me to live for Him. So we talked about the necessity of loving God. And then we talked about the nature of our love that we have for Him. But what I want to talk about now is really your, your love for God. Is it something you have to choose to do? Will to generate within yourself? Or is that love that you have for God a gift from heaven to you? Because remember, we used to be enemies of God. While we were yet enemies of God, He what? Loved us. How did He love us? That's the question. So here we're going to answer that. The first objection that I, I need to first lay a little bit of a foundation in order for you to understand this because it's very contrary to most people's thought life. We have to renew our mind according to God's ways and God's word, right? And God's will. So let's renew our minds here for a little bit. I want to give you an objection that many people have against what I'm about to share with you from scriptures. And, the, and people's objection is this. God will never violate somebody's free will. He'll never violate your free will. So I thought about that for a little bit, and I thought the first thing that jumped to my mind is, it's interesting how God ultimately damns sinners to hell. He pours them into hell against their own will. Hmm. I remember how many times people have said, God will never go against a person's free will. It's like, oh. You know, when Jesus said, many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, <laughs> did we not? We did this, we did that. We caused our devils in your name. We did mighty wonders in your name. We prophesied, prophesied in your name. We do all of this in your name. Jesus is going to say, depart from me. What? You realize what he's saying there. Many are going to be shocked. Many are going to be surprised. They're going to think. God used them in such mighty ways. They must be right with God. Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And then he says why he never knew them. <laughs> then, he's, then he says why he never knew them. He says, because you practiced lawlessness. You practiced lawlessness. Which I would love to. If I ever had a day with, with, with Joseph Prince, that's what I would ask him. He's like, what lawlessness are we talking about here? Oh, the law's gone. The law's, that's antinomianism. No, no, no. Jesus said you practiced, not you didn't commit sin, because all sin. But some people choose to live in that sin. They practice that sin, right? And Jesus said, depart from me, for you practiced lawlessness. You didn't love me, because those who love me are those who, actually, those who actually obeyed me, right? But you who practice this, this is an obvious sign that you were never right with God. I remember, uh, you know, there was a family that used to come to our church here, and, and um, they had a nephew of, um, that, that was, they thought he had cancer, young man. They thought he might have cancer. And the doctors were waiting for the report. 
But this young man has a wild life style, openly so. And so they asked, hey, can we pray for this young man? And I said, yeah, let's, let's do this immediately. And I was shocked. I know this kid. And um, Tina was there. For those of you that don't know, she's, she, she loves to pray at 100 miles an hour passionately. You know? And I said, you know what, let, let me pray first and then you pray. <laughs> you know, like having somebody else pray and then you go like, hey, Jesus. Uh, so we stand in a circle there holding hands. And I prayed first and I pray that God have mercy on him. God have mercy on him, have mercy on him, have mercy on him. Of course, it's going through me that, you know, he's openly living in, in sin, openly showing a contempt for the things of God, him and his sister. And so I said, Tina, go ahead and you pray. And Tina immediately starts praying for his salvation. And uh, that was the last straw that broke the camel's back. They just had to leave the church. Leave the church. How dare you say he's not saved? We said, well, what makes you think he's saved? He prayed the prayer. I'm like, oh. He prayed the prayer, I'll tell you. Like, when did he pray the prayer? Ten years ago. Like, all right, well, have you seen one sign of him loving God in the last ten years, especially now? He prayed the, listen, praying a prayer, you, find me one place in the Bible where they actually got saved by praying a prayer after somebody else, reciting these words. Isn't that Roman Catholicism? No, no, no. It's an actual miracle that has to happen to a person. And then we are told, we are told that you have to go and test yourself to see if, in fact, you're in the faith. Test yourself. Not affirm those who, who would fail a test had they been tested. If, in fact, they would be tested, they'd be failing. But don't worry, let me rather affirm, because you know what? That's what they need to hear right now. That's what they need to hear right now. They're going through a lot. And that's prizing relationship over principle. And so it's very important for us to understand that ultimately we see that God, Jesus said, depart from me, I didn't know you. And here's why. You practiced lawlessness. You practiced it. You lived in it. So the question is, does God ever interfere with somebody's will? Does God ever interfere with somebody's will? Well, we see that He Against those people's will, he told them to depart from him. Another thought that came to mind is that God assumes the right to interfere with Saul's will. Here's Saul. It was his intention to persecute Christians. God intervenes, and then from there on out, it's his absolute intention to make more Christians. How are you going to get around that idea if you believe that God never interferes with somebody's will, free will, free will? What are you going to do with Paul? Huh? Then I realized that God interferes with a person's will as a means of sanctifying them. When God sanctifies you, guess how He does this? 
He does it. He shows us in Philippians 2.13 how he does it. He says, for it is God, it is God who works in you to both will and to work his good pleasure. To will and to work his good pleasure. Guess what? Let me say it to you. It is God who works in you to will his pleasure, not your own. Not your flesh, not the world, not the devil's pleasure, his pleasure. Could you turn to your neighbor and say, it is God who works in your will? To fulfill his pleasure? <laughs> it is such a foreign concept. It is so weird. People can't swallow this pill because from their perspective, they will everything that they choose to do. Let me tell you this. Okay. Uh, It is God who interfered in people's will, causing them to work according to His pleasure, not their own. Augustine said this, quote, To will is of nature. To will is of nature. To will a right is of grace. God works in you both to will a right and then do it. And then I thought another example. This is interesting. While attempting to curse Israel, God violated Balaam's will and made Balaam bless Israel instead. You know the story. In Numbers 24, 13, if Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not do anything. So Balak was saying to Balaam, I'll give you all this. I'll pay you. I'll give you all this. All I need you to do is I need you to stand up there and curse Israel. So Balaam said, all right, I'll do it. And then when he tried it, Instead of curses coming out of his mouth, which he intended to do, blessings kept coming out. He says, I bless you. What? <laughs> he didn't mean to bless. He meant to curse. He says that in Numbers 24, 13. He says, if Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not do anything contrary to the command of the Lord, either good or bad, of my own accord. I couldn't do it of my own accord. What the, what the Lord speaks, I will speak. I thought about this, that the Lord governs the will of the king by causing the king to will what God wills. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he, God, will. Have you ever put on the faucet and then you take both your hands like that and you let the water flow into your hands and then you... You turn it to the left, you turn it to the right, and then you cause it to dam up, and then you'll pour it out, and then, you know, the way you can kind of guide that water, it's exactly what God does to the heart of whoever is in office. And sometimes, crooked kings is God's wrath upon an evil generation. So where does the love we have from God come from? Do we stir this love up ourselves? Knowing that God has the right to interfere in the will of man. He has the right to interfere in the will of man. However, even so, do we will to love Him? Are we able to choose to love God? Or is it a gift from God? 
therefore we're able. I'd love to show you this short video by one of my most favorite teachers ever, RC. Thank you. So I want to show you where your love for God comes from. Let me see by show of hands. How many of you love the Lord? You love the Lord. There are then those of you who have learned many things about the Lord, like His attributes, and you love Him for who He is. But let me tell you where the love comes from that you have for the Lord. And you know that you love the Lord because you love those who love Him. You know you love the Lord because... You desire to give yourself to Him. You desire to obey Him. You know you love the Lord because when you don't, it destroys you. You know you love the Lord because you love repenting to the Lord. Let me show you where that love comes from. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 says, And the Lord your God will, future tense. Can you all see that? Future tense. And the Lord your God will, in the future, circumcise not your flesh, but your heart. And the heart of your offspring. Thank you, Lord, all the parents said. Why? So that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart. God is going to do a work inside of you. Why? So that you will love Him. He's not going to fail at what He's doing inside of you. He will finish what He has started inside of you. 
It says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Why? Why does He want you to love Him? That you may live. That's why. <laughs> that you may live. You see, God is, God is not giving you a heart that loves Him because He has this alter ego, because He's a narcissist, because He cannot be satisfied unless everybody loves Him. That's not why He's doing it. He's doing it not for Him. He's doing it for you. So you may live. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 and 27 says this. Ezekiel chapter 36, 26 and 7, 27. And I will give you a new heart. Again, future tense. I will give you a new heart. Remember, this is the Ezekiel, the prophet speaking in the Old Testament. And I will give you a new heart on that day, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone, not you. I will do it. The heart that cannot love God. I will remove it from your flesh and give you, in other words, it's a gift, give you a heart of flesh, one that is soft in comparison to a stone, one that is teachable, loving, responsive, and can grow. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you. I will cause you. I will cause you. I will work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. And I will cause you to carefully obey my rules. Nobody is going to walk up into heaven and go like, yeah, man, I was so obedient. Did you see me? Man, I did a good job. Nobody's going to do that. We're going to receive a crown for our faithfulness to Christ, but then what we're going to do is take that crown, put it at His feet. Why? Because it was His doing that allowed us to actually walk in His ways. And that way He gets all the glory. Let me end up with this question. First ending, I only have two. First ending, let me ask you this question. Did you choose God, decided to love Him, and on that basis, He therefore gave you a heart of flesh? Or did He give you a heart of flesh so that you could choose Him, desire Him, love Him, and obey Him? Which came first? Yeah, His gift of a brand new heart came first. He is the author and He is the finisher of your faith. You are not the author and He the finisher. He's the author and you are the finisher of your faith. You love Him. You desire Him because He enabled you to do so. He poured love for Him in your heart. Oh, He will never violate... Mm, let's not go there. He will never violate anybody's free will. Well, ask Paul that one. Ask Balaam that one. Ask the king whose heart is in the hand of God that one. Ask every Christian you know who used to be an enemy of God, now a lover of God. Why? What happened? Oh, well, I just decided that that would be the right thing to do. <laughs> Mm-mm. All glory goes to God. You say, well, that's all Old Testament. We'll finish with Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? 
because God's love has been poured into our hearts. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We cannot demand God be merciful to every human being. We can beg Him. We can beg Him for mercy. But you cannot demand Him for mercy. You can demand justice, but you cannot demand Mercy, God, now! No, how does that work? It doesn't. You owe me grace. How does he owe me grace? He owes me no grace. He owes me no mercy. The only thing he owes me is justice. <laughs> and when he withholds his justice, he's being gracious to me. And he says, I will be gracious to whomever I choose to. I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. There's Charlie. There's Anthony. If I walk over there and I give Anthony $20, did I harm Charlie? No. If I show mercy to one, I don't owe him $20 because I gave him $20, right? Last week there was a confusion because I used two younger boys who happened to be brothers. And everybody goes like, that would be wrong. No. People go like, yeah, Charlie can go without. <laughs> who cares? You know, I can give to whomever I choose to give. And what we can do, and this is good news, because every single one of you have loved ones you would love to see saved. How do you pray for them? You beg God to have mercy on them. That He would do in their hearts what we just read in Deuteronomy 30 verse 6. That He would do in our children's hearts what we just read in Ezekiel 36 26. That we beg God for mercy. And give them a heart that loves. And then the Bible commands you now, go and love. Why? Because you can. How? Through living for Him. That's why He says, now love the Lord with all of your heart. He wasn't saying that to the man, of, to the man with a heart of stone. He was saying that to the man with a heart of flesh. He says, now you have a heart of flesh. Go and love God with that heart of flesh. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your gift you have been merciful to us. You have been gracious to us. We are not hardened stones. But God, you have caused these rocks to cry out. You've caused them. You've broken our hearts, the stone of our hearts. And you've given us hearts of flesh. You've cut it away. You have circumcised our hearts. Ours and our children's. That is the promise. And we hold on to that promise that you have promise to be gracious and merciful toward us. Lord, we know that everything in life that we choose to do or do not do, what we choose to do or choose not to do, reveals our love for you. Help us, God. Love more. Be merciful to us, God pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you get something out of the word this morning?